0: Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 7. Previously on Pride and Prejudice, we have met the Bennett family, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett and their five daughters, We have gotten to know the family a little bit. We saw them go to a dance where they met Mr. Bingley, the new rich man who has moved to town. His good friend, Mr. Darcy, his sisters, and one of his sister's husbands. Um, We also then meet the Lucases, a family that lives nearby that the Bennets are good friends with. Specifically, Miss Charlotte Lucas, who is Lizzie's best friend who is our main character. We go to a party at the Lucas's house. We see that Mr. Darcy is starting to like Lizzie, even though at first he snubbed her at that first party. And so she hates him. He said he hates her, but now he kind of likes her. But she doesn't know that. She still thinks he hates her. It's a whole thing. Um, we get an idea that Charlotte is a much less romantic character. Then, Lizzie is, and of course, Bingley and Jane are falling madly head over heels, in love with each other at first sight. And that is about where we're at when we come into chapter Seven. We've just kind of met a bunch of these characters. we see where these um sort of relationships are starting. We've got Jane and Bingley in a very uncomplicated. they are just both sweet. People who seem to fall in love with each other immediately, and then we've got Darcy and Lizzie, which looks like it's going to be a much more complicated situation. And that leads us into chapter seven. (laughs) All right, chapter seven starts out with some I'm going to say money situations with some numbers, which I think is good to good to note. I think I've already sort of talked about this, but we learn out the chapter begins with Mr. Bennett's property consisted almost entirely of an estate of 2000 a year, which unfortunately for his daughters was entailed in default of male heir or of heirs, male on a distant relation. So this is our first number. Mr. Bennett's property is worth 2000 a year. So we've already found out that Bingley is $4,000 or $5,000 a year. Uh, Mr. Darcy has $10,000 a year and very likely more. Um, so Mr. Bennett is $2,000 a year. It's a good bit less than either Bingley or Darcy. Um, but in my understanding, it's still a pretty decent amount. They are doing very well currently. There's no issue currently their money issue is more about the future and meaning that in the future, because they're his his, his, his estate is entailed in default of heirs male. Um, it's not going to go to his own children, right? His daughters are not going to inherit this estate. So Mr. Bingley and the Bingley, fa- Mr. Bennett and the Bennett family um, are doing quite well financially in their current situation. But Once Mr. Bennett dies, all of their money, their estate, everything, goes to um, a distant relation, the next closest male heir, um, and not to Mr. Bennett's daughters in any way, not to his wife. They lose everything. So when Mrs. Bennett is, you know, crying about the money and everything, all I think of that is something that confuses a lot of people or doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think some of the adaptations make them, or one specific adaptation, makes them seem way too poor. Because the point is not that the Bennets are currently poor; the point is that they have no future security once Mister Bennett dies. That all of their financial security rests on the fact that Mister Bennett has this estate, but he has what's considered like I think they call it like a lifetime, um, a lifetime tenant or something like that. He owns the estate, kind of, but he um, is not able to sell it, for example. Um, he is not able to leave it to who he wants to in his will. He has, he has it to have the income from it while he's alive. But as soon as he dies, it goes to the next prescribed heir, which is, in this case, entailed on a next male heir. And since he doesn't have any sons, that would go back up the male line and find the next closest um, male in the family tree, along his father's side. So it would go up to, you know, his father. So, like, it would go to Mr. Bennett. Did he have any brothers? I'm assuming not, since it says it's a far, a distant relation. Um, You know, up to his grandfather, up to those sons. Like, it would follow the tree up and back and, you know, around to find the next closest male heir, male family member. So it would have to go through the, fam- the male line. Um, and that is in a nutshell, what the stakes for the Bennett sisters are in this novel. So we have it written out for us here. That's what their problem is, is that they don't have... The family themselves will not have money once Mr. Bennett dies. And so they are in they are at risk for future financial hardship, not current financial hardship. And then we learn a little bit about Mrs. Bennett's finances and history. So it says... Um, Their mother's fortune, though ample for her situation in life, could but ill supply the deficiency of his. Her father had been an attorney in Meryton and had left her 4,000 pounds. So Mrs. Bennett, I think we've talked about this before, married up. She was not part of this landed gentry class as a child or before she married. Her father was an attorney in Meryton, you know, of a lower social rank, but was wealthy gave her a very nice dowry of that 4000 pounds which is more than any of the her daughters are going to get um, so his her father was wealthy but not high socially so she essentially used her beauty and her money to marry up socially to marry Mr Bennett, who is of the landed gentry class so he was higher so he was a higher class than her she married up with her money um, she has a sister who is married to a Mr Phillips who had been a clerk for their father and succeeded him in the business so her sister is still of that lower social class um not part of that landed gentry class her husband is and is an attorney took over their father's business so is probably again relatively wealthy or probably pretty wealthy if her father could afford to give a dowry of 4000 pounds to mrs bennett then she probably had a decent dowry the business is probably doing well they're probably pretty wealthy, but they are not of the landed gentry because he works for a living. Gasp! So déclassé. And then, she also then has a brother settled in London in a respectable line of trade. So what exactly he does, I'm not sure. Um, what a respectable line of trade is, I don't know what like what kind of trades that means. But for whatever, whatever it is, it's considered like socially acceptable and good. But not one of, like, the gentle, um, the gentleman, I don't know, uh, career paths, I suppose. So he's in some form of trade. Um, Probably we get hints later that he's pretty wealthy as well. Um, So it's, you know, he probably owns more than, like, a shop. Like, he does some sort of higher level trade. He makes good money. But again, socially is not considered as good as the landed gentry because he has to work for a living, and that is just not not as good in this time. Trade, this time, so it's just again pointing out that Missus Bennett, her family is of lower class. Her, all her, you know, relatives that they are on good terms with are in trade. They are not landed gentry. They are of a, you know, a noticeable lower social standing than the bennett family themselves are so their connections there are not good even though their connections are wealthy so again all of this is not necessarily about money for that um, but and this is something i actually do think is, is important to note because a lot of people when i've heard them talk about pride and prejudice and talk about this future hardship yes the bennetts will not have anything with if, if and when mr bennett dies they are not going to get anything from mr bennett But they have a very wealthy aunt who lives in Meryton and then they have a very wealthy uncle who lives in London on the mother's side who I don't think would let them starve to death. (laughs) Like, yes, the streets are not good. Yes, it's a problem. But I don't think any of them are going to be left on the street to starve. I do think their family will take care of them. They do have enough wealthy relatives that they will be okay, I think. Um, that's a big assumption, but I don't think the straits are quite as dire as some people make them out to be, <clears throat> but that is my own personal opinion of having seen the Phillipses and the gardeners. I think that the gardeners would take in for sure, Lizzie and Jane in a heartbeat without even a second thought. Um, and they probably, they would take in the rest of their nieces and their, and Mrs. Bennett as well. I'm very sure. Although I think Mrs. Bennett would probably just go live with Mrs. Phillips. And I think honestly, the younger daughters would prefer to do that. In my opinion, if, you know, the next chapter, Mr. Bennett dies and none of the daughters are married, Mrs. Bennett and Mary and Kitty and Lydia would all go live with Mrs. Phillips and would be very happy there. And Jane and Lizzie would go live with the gardeners in London and everything would be fine. Um, it would be a, it would be a, they would be brought down socially. Um, the big thing that would happen to them is that they would then be very firmly landed into that... I guess, working class. I don't know what you'd call that social, what that social class that the, the rest of their families in, they would be very firmly placed down into that social strata. They would not be of this land of gentility anymore. Um, and that would make their marriage prospects significantly different. They would not be marrying again, gentlemen, they would be marrying working men. Um, so it would be a big step down. It would be a very different life in that social arena of things but not in the money aspect um so i don't know i feel like there's a whole other story where it's them having to deal with the fact that they are brought down to this other social class and having to learn how to deal with that and how to like navigate that which could be really interesting and i think is what would have happened probably if they if mr bennett died before the daughters were married it would be a social disruption, a social issue, a change in who they would be able to marry. But I think they would be monetarily probably doing just fine because their family would take care of them. <laughs> anyway, that is a whole other aside. And uh, not really, I'm almost like a whole paragraph into this whole chapter and I've been rambling on for quite a bit. But that is my take on the situation. In any case... The village of Longbourn, which is where the Bennets live, was only a mile from, away from Meryton, and the, so the young ladies usually went there. Let's see, who were usually tempted thither three or four times a week to pay their duty to their aunt and to a milliner shop just over the way. So the girls all go to town three or four times a week to get the news, to visit their aunt. Again, this is at a time before there is tv or the internet or anything fun to do apparently so they just go walk and gossip and go to the milliner's shop and buy hats i think that's what a milliner's shop is maybe clothes too i don't know buy stuff a little shop so they do that and specifically also catherine and lydia the two youngest girls kitty and lydia do that the most it says they were particularly frequent in these attentions as their minds were more vacant than their sisters. Um, which is a bit of a burn, I will say. Though I do love it that Lydia and Kitty are the two vacant-minded ones of the sisters. Who need that gossip even more than the others. So they go to get all the news. And at present, indeed, they were well-supplies with both news and happiness by the recent arrival of a militia regiment in the neighborhood. It was to remain the whole winter and Meryton was the headquarters. So this is going to be a big thing for the plot. The militia has arrived and Lydia and Kitty are the ones most excited by this militia arriving in town. They are super super duper excited. It's everything. So a little another little tangent now we're going to talk about the militia. So what so the militia here My understanding of it, anyway, is it's more analogous to, in the U.S., anyway, like the National Guard. It's a, this is not the fighting force that's going out and fighting the war with France that is going on in this time period. They are staying at home and protecting England on the home front. Um, And I also, my understanding is that they also do a lot, a good amount of, like, sort of keeping the peace um, activities at home as well. Um, I I don't think they had the police forces kind of the way we do now. Again, don't quote me on any of this. I'm not a complete expert. This is my very basic understanding. And if you hear me say something that's completely wrong, please feel free to let me know. My email and and everything is in the uh, description. So contact me. Let me know that I have completely misrepresented something. But my understanding of it is that the militia do a lot of like sort of keeping the peace at home sort of situations and then they're also there obviously to be on you know on guard in case there was an invasion from France or anywhere they are the people keep keeping watch from home they are not going out and um with the army to have to do the war in other places in France in this time period um and I do believe that with that they are also less prestigious than like the regulars which is what they would call them The regular army are the ones who are going out and fighting the war in France and fighting around this time period would have been fighting the Civil War or not the Civil the Revolutionary War in the U.S. um, and the colonies, going out to the colonies, that kind of stuff. Those are the regular military men who are off, you know, out in the rest of the world and India at this time, too, probably a lot. Um, That's what those are the regular army people. The militia are staying within England. They are not traveling out of the country. They're doing more domestic things Um, and they are less prestigious and less well-paid. And I think less well-trained as well um, is the implications that I have gotten about what the militia are. Um, Again, let me know if I'm wrong, but that's what I think is going on here. The militia are not as, you know, they're kind of a step down from the regular army as far as prestige and money and everything goes so the militia would be on the coast during the summer um you know protecting from a, a possible future invasion and then in the winter they would get like hosted by a town would be i don't know volunteered whether the town volunteered or was volunteered or whatever it was somehow they got quartered in a village somewhere for they were put up for the winter because you know travel and everything was so much harder in the winter it was unlikely that there would be any sort of invasion and then they would go back to the coast for the summer so Meryton is not on the coast they are being brought here for the winter to kind of wait out the winter until they go back to the coast on the summer which as we will get to in the summer they're going they're going to go to brighton which is a coastal town so the militia have arrived it's all very exciting And going to Mrs. Phillips, their aunt who lives in Meryton, is now the most exciting thing in the world to do because they can learn all about the officers. Um, Because here's another part of this. The people who are in the militia, the only ones we are going to meet are going to be officers, right? The enlisted men are of lower social standing and even lower pay, and they are too low to be noticed by the class of people that we are reading about in this book the only people that are considered high class enough to interact with the Bennett family would be the officers. So those are the only ones we're going to hear about. I don't even know if we even hear that enlisted men exist in this novel, but they do. We're just only going to be talking about the officers in any case. So they're learning all about Kitty and Lydia are going to their aunt every day and learning all about the officers, learning of their names, their connections, where they're living for the winter. Um, and, at great length, they finally start to actually meet the officers themselves. And this is because Mr. Phillips knows them all, their uncle. And so they are so excited to be talking about officers. It says they could talk of nothing but officers. And here's a nice funny quote. And Mr. Bingley's large fortune, the mention of which gave animation to their mother, was worthless in their eyes when opposed to the regimentals of an ensign. So regimentals is their uniform uniform. The red coat, an ensign, I believe, would be a rank of um, an ar- officer, and I think that's the lowest rank, if I'm correct. Oh yes, there's a um, in my annotation. It does it does confirm that. So the author of my annotated version agrees with me that that is a lowest level of off-ranking officer in the army. So they are. Kitty and Lydia are just obsessed with the officers, talking about them non-stop. And it goes on to say that after listening one morning to their effusions on this subject, Mr. Bennett coolly observed, "'From all that I can collect by your manner of talking, "'you must be two of the silliest girls in the country. "'I have suspected it some time, but I am now convinced.'" Catherine was disconcerted, and made no answer. But Lydia, with perfect indifference, continued to express her admiration of Captain Carter, and her hope of seeing him in the course of the day— as he was going to the next morning to London. And then we get on to a conversation that I'm going to read to you that I just love between Mrs. Bennet and Mr. Bennet, and it is just a beautiful thing. So here we go. I am astonished, my dear, said Mrs. Bennet, that you should be so ready to think your own children silly. If I wish to think slightly of anybody's children, it should not be of my own, however. If my children are silly, I must hope to always be sensible of it. "'Yes, but as it happens, they are all of them very clever.' "'This is the only point,' I flatter myself, "'on which we do not agree. "'I had hoped that our sentiments coincided in every particular, "'but I must so far differ from you "'as to think our two youngest daughters uncommonly foolish. "'My dear Mr. Bennet, "'you must not expect such girls to have the sense of their father and mother. "'When they get to our age, "'I dare say they will not think about officers any more than we do.' I remember the time when I liked a red redcoat myself very well, and indeed I do still at my heart, and if a smart young colonel with five or six thousand a year should want one of my girls, I shall not say nay to him, and I thought Colonel Forster looked very becoming the other night at Sir Williams and his regimentals. All right, so a few things about this conversation. A. I find it hilarious. I love the banter between Mr. and Mrs. Bennet. Mr. Bennet, I think, hates her <laughs> like he is completely over mrs bennett and her ways he's making fun of her constantly and this is another situation here where mrs bennett thinks they're having a conversation and mr bennett is just baiting her and making fun of her in my opinion so he's calling kitty and lydia silly girls um, which is pretty much what we thought he thought of them anyway. Nothing new there. But Mrs. Bennett comes back at him saying that, you know, you shouldn't say things like that about your own children. You should say it about other people's children. Which I was like, why is that better? <laughs> Mrs. Bennett, come on. Like, yeah, don't make fun of other people's children. I get that you don't want him making fun of your children, but just, yeah, it's just, it's, still, it's a lot. Anyway. <laughs> um, And then she says that all of them are very clever, which, again, I mrs bennett's not the most clever so they're as clever as she is so it's fine she doesn't notice we're just going to move on from that and then here we get again a place where mr bennett is being um sarcastic saying that this is the only point i flatter myself on which we do not agree completely not true they don't agree on just about anything from what we've seen so far he goes on to say, I had hoped that our sentiments coincided in every particular, but I must so far differ from you as to think our two youngest daughters uncommonly foolish. That he's being truthful. He thinks that they are uncommonly foolish, but he is also baiting her and, you know, pretending like they agree on everything. He knows they don't agree on just about anything. He's full of it, basically. <laughs> um, and the, then Mrs. Bennett goes on with thinking that they're just having a conversation when they are not... And I think it's hilarious. She says, you must not expect such girls to have the sense of their father and mother. They do have the sense of their mother. They don't have the sense of their father, is what we've gotten to, I think. Um, and they won't think of redcoats any more than we do when they're older. And then she goes on to basically say that she still does think of redcoats as much as anybody. So, no, they're never going to get over it because Mrs. Bennett never has. <laughs> so she proves her point wrong there. Um, The other thing that comes up there is that... She says, and if a smart young colonel with five or six thousand a year should want one of my girls, I shall not say nay to him. Okay, a couple things here. As far as I'm aware, and this is a lower ranking thing, there's only one colonel. There's Colonel Forster. There's no other colonels in this regiment that we ever meet or hear of or anything. Um, And my understanding is that there would just be the one colonel like kind of in charge of this group. They wouldn't have like generals or admirals or anybody like that higher ranking people here and there's only the one colonel who's in charge of everything so it's not like there's just a bunch of colonels but b i don't think colonel forster makes five or six thousand a year um where he yeah she's saying a young colonel with five or six thousand a year that's more than bingley has bingley is rich these officers are in the military because they need money Right. They're there because they are second sons or you know, younger sons. They don't have an inheritance. They're from a family that was in like the genteel trades of, you know, it's clergy. I think it's like it's clergy, a higher level law, like not Mrs. Bennett's brother law, but like there's a higher level of law they're allowed to go into. And. um, Clergy. But mostly clergy and military. Those are the two big genteel trades. And then the law. Um, like becoming lawyers. Those are the three that are allowed for genteel young men. Who do not have money. Who need to earn money. So by definition, they don't have money when they go into the military pretty much ever. It's very unusual for an older son to go into the military. Though, I mean... We do see that in Northanger Abbey that the oldest son is in the military. That's just a very strange thing to do. That's not the common way you do this. This is a second son sort of situation to go to the military. Um, so the men in the military are generally not that rich. That's why they went into the military to begin with in this, in this version of, or, you know, in this societal climate. Um, and, they don't make all that much from the military when we talk about men getting rich for example in persuasion um that was another that was a very heavy military book though so that was the navy not the army in the navy those men got rich when they captured ships and like mate and got prizes quote unquote from those ships like took the ship took the stuff off the ship made their money that way they weren't making getting rich off of their paycheck from the military <laughs> Um, and these people who are in the militia would not have that like ability to go out and like steal ships and they're you know th- let's be honest the way that they were making money was basically being pirates right uh, in the navy they were going out and stealing and stealing stuff legally because it would they were at war with the country they were stealing from but it was still they were basically legally legal pirates that's how they were making their money or legally sanctioned pirates. The militia here doesn't have that same ability. They don't get to go out and, like, just steal stuff the same way um, because they're not on enemy territory. They are at home with their same people. So they're working on just their salary. And my understanding, again, would be that that salary isn't that much. Like, not in the way of, like, society of the time. They are very much on the lower end of you know acceptable society at that point money wise now they could come from a very wealthy family for example we will meet um Mr Darcy's cousin later who is the son of an earl so probably does have plenty of money from his family um so it can it does happen but yeah, this idea that Mrs. Bennett has that these colonel, that these military officers are these rich people with 5 or 6,000 a year just I think is a way, something that you can just read over really quickly without even thinking about it but is another line that I think is supposed to show us how kind of flighty and silly Mrs. Bennett is. Like She doesn't understand what's going on because there's no way these random military officers that are in the militia here That are relatively low-level military officers. Most of them have five or six thousand a year. At least they don't have it coming from the militia. Um, If they have that kind of money, they probably wouldn't have joined the militia. Uh, Yeah, they. The point is that she's just completely off base here. The military men don't have that kind of money, and it's kind of showing that she doesn't understand the finances of the actual situation as it stands in the world here. I think it just shows how silly she is again it's showing that flightiness and then Lydia breaks in with another comment on Colonel Forster and how she doesn't go to he doesn't go to Miss Watson's anymore now they go to the library and this whole conversation is broken off because the big excitement happens a letter from Netherfield has arrived for Jane and before Jane can even read it her mother is breaking in with well, Jane, who is it from? What's it about? What does he say? Well, Jane, make haste and tells us make haste, my love. And then she has to say, no, well, A, this is another thing that um, Mrs. Bennett doesn't understand the way the world works, because she's like, what does he say? If Mr. Bingley was writing a letter, he wouldn't write it to Jane. That would be completely inappropriate. So the idea that Mrs. Bingley thinks that he, that he, she specifically says, what does he say? Um... I find that to be a very telling and important thing that Mrs. Bennett would love for that to happen because the only reason that Mr. Bingley and Jane would be writing letters back and forth was if they were engaged. You're not allowed to write letters to someone you're not engaged to. That's very clear at uh, this time period um, to a single person of the opposite sex. Um, Anyway, um, that's not okay. unless she, yeah, yeah, you have to be engaged to them. So him writing... Mr. Bingley writing Jane a letter would have been completely inappropriate and wouldn't have happened. Like, Mr. Bingley wouldn't do that. So Mrs. Bennet, I think, is, again, just off her rocker here saying those sorts of things. She doesn't even know what she's talking about. But it's a letter from Miss Bingley, which makes a lot more sense. And Jane reads it aloud. And it says, My dear friend... If you are not so compassionate as to dine to-day with Louisa and me, we shall be in danger of hating each other for the rest of our lives, for a whole day's tete-a-tete between two women can never end without a quarrel. Come as soon as you can on the receipt of this. My brother and the gentlemen are to dine with the officers. Yours ever, Caroline Bingley. So, first off, um, I think that this shows us a little bit of Caroline's personality and her character— Um, I don't like that she's this weird, like, I don't know, anti-woman thing she's got going on that's saying that Louisa and her can't spend the day together without hating each other for the rest of their lives because, you know, two women can, can never spend the day together without ending up in a, without ending up in a quarrel. Oh, it's just like, really? Really? Okay. That's just such a dumb thing to say, in my opinion. It just, again, I think it's a way to tell us we're not supposed to like Caroline by how weird she is about this female friendship thing. Um, and it also shows kind of how fake her friendship with Jane is, I think. To start with saying that, like, the reason that I'm inviting you over is because the gentlemen are to dine with the officers, Right. The reason you are, I am interested in having your company, which we will see later with like Lady Catherine de Bourgh, for example. The reason I want to have your company is because I can't have anybody else. It's because I'm bored because there isn't anybody else for me to hang out with. Um, The gentlemen are going to be gone. So it's just going to be me and Louisa and I'm bored and I want somebody else to talk to. But it's very much you are, you are here to serve as backup. You're not my first pick because I think it's very clear Caroline Bingley would rather hang out with Mr. Darcy. Um, And she also, I think we we're very clear, doesn't want to encourage anything b- between Jane and Bingley, her brother. So Jane is only good enough to come over when there's nobody else, when the gentlemen are gone and she's bored. And uh, that's what we learn here from this little letter. First letter of the book will not be the last. And Lydia's first thing is just that They're dining with the officers. I wonder that my aunt did not tell Miss of that, like so she didn't get the gossip. She didn't know that, and that's sad for her. Oh, Lydia. And Mrs. Bennet completely misses the point and is like, "Oh, dining out—that is very unlucky." And so Mrs. Bennet completely misses the point. The only reason Jane is going is because the gentlemen are dining out. Caroline would not have invited her if they were to be there, like she wouldn't have needed the extra company. Again, Jane is only being invited there as second best because there was nobody else. Um, She would never have been invited with just if the gentlemen were staying in. So Mrs. Bennet acting like this was just a coincidence is, again, her sort of missing the point or not getting it, I think. Then Jane asks for the carriage and her mother says, no, she can't. She has to go on horseback because it seems likely to rain and then you'll have to stay there all night um and jane says she'd rather go on the coach and it goes back and forth a little bit before they finally elizabeth stops and asks her father like well can she have the carriage and says no so it turns out that her father said they can't the horses are being used at the farm so they don't have them for the carriage so jane is going to have to go on horseback Now, I am not clear on why they have a horse for her to ride on horseback, but not a horse for the carriage. Like, couldn't one horse pull the carriage or did they need more than that? Or is it a different type of horse or differently trained horses? I don't know really anything about horses. So I am unclear on that. Um, Maybe their carriage... I would assume like a carriage could be pulled... Maybe their carriage is too big to be pulled by only one horse or maybe the horse is not i have heard the term carriage horse so maybe it's not a carriage horse whatever that means i am unclear on why they have a horse for her to ride but not a horse to pull the carriage that makes that's i'm assuming it makes sense and it's right i just don't know anything about horses um but hey if you're an expert on horses and want to explain to me why a horse that jane could ride would not be able to pull a carriage let me know anyway Anyway, whatever the case, Jane rides, and it rains, and Mrs. Bennett is super excited about this. Um, so, it says, her mother attended her to the door with many cheerful prognostics of a bad day. Her hopes were answered. Jane had not been gone long before it rained hard. Her sisters were uneasy for her, but her mother was delighted. The rain continued the whole evening without intermission. Jane certainly could not come back. So Mrs. Bing- Mrs. Bennett is super happy that Jane got stuck over at Netherfield for the evening because of the rain, just as she planned, because she can't ride back in the rain. And so that's all very exciting. And I thought it was interesting that her sisters were uneasy for her. Um, all of them, it seems like, but their mother was not. She was just delighted that she was going to be stuck at Netherfield. And Mrs. Bennet continues on with, it was the lucky idea of mine, indeed. And then till the next morning, however, she was not aware of all the felicity of her contrivance. Breakfast was scarcely over when a servant from Netherfield brought the following note for Elizabeth. So I think this is another interesting thing and telling that Jane is sick and she doesn't write home to her mother. She writes home to Lizzie. She also doesn't write home to her father. She writes home to Lizzie. Which is, I think, very interesting, because I'm just thinking, like, if I, I'm in a different situation, I don't have any sisters, but it, when I was still living at home, like, when I needed to, like, call home and say something, let some, let, like, people know, I would have called my mom or dad, probably my mom, usually, I wouldn't have called, like, my little brother, <laughs> right, right? Um, so it's just an interesting dynamic that I, that I notice as being a little off, like of, or indicative of their family dynamic being weird, that Jane needs to let the family know that she's sick and that she's staying at Netherfield for a while and not to worry. And the person that she writes to do that is her younger sister, not either of her parents, but her little sister. And I think that is very telling about how their family dynamic works and how sort of messed up it is. Cause that's another thing that I do think that their family dynamic is off and not healthy. And we'll see more of that as the book goes on, but I don't see them as this beautiful little loving family that again, one specific adaptation tries to portray them as, and I don't think it's right. That is not how I see them. I see them as a very dysfunctional family and part of, and you know, this is one little thing, but the fact that Jane doesn't write to her mom or her dad, but writes to her little sister when she's sick, I think, points out, is, you know, letting you know of this weird dynamic that isn't good in their family. That's my interpretation of it. Anyway, I'm sure I'll have more time to talk about what I think is off about the family dynamic of the Bennets. But here we go. Her letter is, my dearest Lizzie, I find myself very unwell this morning, which I suppose is to be imputed on my getting wet through yesterday. My kind friends will he- not hear of my returning home till I am better. They insist also on my seeing Mr. Jones. Therefore, do not be alarmed if you should hear of his having been to me. And excepting a sore throat and headache, there is not much the matter with me. Yours, etc. So, Jane has a cold. Um, She has a headache. She has a sore throat. Mr. Jones is the apothecary, sort of pharmacist, doctor type person who helps people when they're sick. Has been called for her. It says that she got wet through yesterday, so she must have gotten soaked while she was riding her horse in the rain on the way to Netherfield yesterday, and so she got sick, and so she's staying at Netherfield until she's better. And here we have a very sarcastic thing from Mr. Bennett again. He comes out with, Well, my dear, if your daughter should have a dangerous fit of illness, if she should die, "'It would be a comfort to know that it was all in pursuit of Mr. Bingley and under your orders.' "'And Mrs. Bennet replies back with, "'Oh, I am not at all afraid of her dying. "'People do not die of little trifling colds. "'She will be taken good care of. "'As long as she stays there, it is all very well. "'I would go and see her if I could have the carriage.' "'Which, oh, my God! "'Mrs. Bennet would not stoop to ride a horse over to Netherfield. "'She needs to have the carriage if she is going to go.' But Jane could just ride a horse. Like, whatever, Mrs. Bennett. So, the sarcasm from Mr. Bennett is saying that if your daughter should die of this, it would be a comfort to know that it was all in pursuit of Mr. Bingley and under your orders. I mean, I think he's he's being, like, ironic there. But it's also, I think, showing, again, that he sees her ploys thinks they're stupid and is pointing out like this is a bad thing you were playing a game trying to get your daughter time with mr bingley oh i think it's interesting he said your daughter their daughter but whatever um trying to get jane time with mr bingley and in doing so has has you know physically put her in harm's way by having her go out in the rain like that that is putting her at danger let her get sick all of that and it is showing some like him seeing through her ploys and not being happy with her behavior. And again, showing them to, I think, not, not, be on, not see eye to eye on many, many things. Though we're also seeing here that Mr. Bennett didn't do anything to stop her. He's again clearly here saying that, like, that was dumb. You shouldn't have done that. But he didn't do anything to try and stop her yesterday when she did it. Like, he just sat there and let it happen. And just laughed about it. And here again, he's like pointing out that was stupid. You shouldn't have done that. But he still just let, let it happen and didn't do anything to change it. So it's also showing sort of how ineffectual he is, I think, as well. But also her reply, Mrs. Bennett's reply, is that people do not die of little trifling colds. Um, yeah, they do. In this time period? Are you kidding me? All the novels are full of people dying from little trifling colds. Um, we haven't read Sense and Sensibility yet on this podcast, but um I'm just going to warn you there are spoilers for all of Jane Austen's novels in these things because it's all just kind of out there. these books are very old. I've read them all um well, I now have now that I read persuasion in the last season or whatever that was my last one I hadn't read yet, so I've now read them all and um yeah, people do die of little trifling colds. In Sense and Sensibility, I'm thinking of Marianne almost dies. She doesn't die. But she's, like, at death's door. They're all, like, thinking she's going to die and send for their mother to come from the coast to come and be with her because she's dying. And that same thing, its I think she got rained on or she was just outside in the cold. No, she also was, like, willing herself to be sick and hadn't been eating, taking care of herself, hadn't been eating and stuff. So it was more complicated. But... Yet yeah, people do die of little colds and little infections and stuff like strip throat used to kill people like and there was smallpox and there was all sorts of little uh, smallpox is in a cold. But like, yes, people died of just little illnesses that we serve, we have the modern medicine to deal with now. So this thing that people do not die of little traveling colds and like, do you know what year you're in? In like 1811 or 13 or whenever this is supposed to be? Uh, yeah, they do. Yes, they do. They do die of little trifling colds. Come on now. So she's also showing herself to be a little, again, naive and cavalier about this whole situation. Um, and also showing that, you know, she'd only go if she could have the carriage, which she cannot. Because Elizabeth wants to go. And so they find out that, again, there aren't horses for the carriage. And since Elizabeth doesn't ride a horse, which, again again is pointing out to me there are other horses so there are the horses for the carriage that are out of the farm then there was the horse that jane took to netherfield which i assume is now still at netherfield like she didn't ride back so is it still there at the stables at netherfield but there would have been another horse for lizzie to take now if she wanted to so there were at least two other horses but they still couldn't drive i i don't know I might be making way too much of that little thing. it just doesn't make sense to me I don't I don't understand. They have all these horses but nobody could none of them can be hooked to the carriage whatever. In any case, because Elizabeth doesn't ride horse doesn't know how to ride or is not a good horsewoman or whatever. Um, I relate to her in that because obviously I am not I don't know anything about horses as I have already demonstrated throughout this chapter. She decides that she's going to walk which her mother thinks is awful because you'll be all she'll be all dirty and you will not be fit to be seen when you get there and her reply it's iconic and i love it elizabeth's reply i shall be very fit to see jane which is all i want and then we see that mr bennett has his favorites because he shows that he's willing to call his horses for lizzie when he wasn't wi- for the carriage when he wasn't willing to call them for his own wife um but lizzie says no i'd rather just walk it's only three miles um so we now know how far away netherfield is it's about three miles and i shall be back for dinner um so she denies the carriage and i kind of wonder here whether that's really you know we're supposed to see that as that independence thing but honestly i don't think she wants her mom to go with her she doesn't she knows if she took the carriage that mrs bennett would come too She'd rather just walk by herself, and Mrs. Bennet's not going to walk the three miles to Netherfield, so then she gets to go by herself. Then we get another little thing by Mary, saying, That I admire the activity of your benevolence, but every impulse of feeling should be guided by reason, and in my opinion, exertion should always be in proportion to what is required. Um... I don't know if that's a quote from something Mary often quotes books of the time like she doesn't seem to have a lot of original thoughts so it very well could be but I don't know what it would be quoting as I don't read moralizing strictures Fordyce's sermons and such of the time period Um, but it feels like something like that like she is pulling through either quoting or talking about things that are I don't know moralizations of the time whatever. So that's a very on brand, merry thing for her to say. She doesn't really have anything to say other than this weird, like, morality something or other she pulled off of one of the books that she reads. Um, And that's her entire contribution to the conversation. And instead, Kitty and Lydia are going to go with Elizabeth all the way to Meryton, which is apparently on the way to Netherfield. And because they want to go, you know, see the officers, of course. So they go as far and they wander off to try and, you know, talk to the officers. Um, And they go, so they specifically go to the lodgings of one of the officers' wives that they know. Because they wouldn't be able to call on any single officers. They could not be able to call on any of the men at all. Because they are unmarried women. They can only call on, like, their aunt and uncle or the officers' wives that they've made friends with. Those are the people that they can call on. They can't call on the officers themselves. But it's very clear they're doing that to see the officers. So, anyway, the two younger girls, Kitty and Lydia, are off to go wander Meryton and look for officers. And Elizabeth keeps going on, and soon she finds herself within view of the house, with weary ankles, dirty stockings, and a face glowing with the warmth of exercise. She's shown into the breakfast parlor, where all but Jane were assembled, and where her appearance created a great deal of surprise, that she should have walked three miles so early in the day in such dirty weather, and by herself was almost incredible to Mr. Hurst and Miss Bangley. And Elizabeth was convinced that they held her in contempt for it. Which I think she is correct there, that they do hold her in contempt for it. So there's a few things that I think are important about this. A, it's very clear that the Bennets are already done with their breakfast, right? Before she walks off. She's eaten breakfast at home and then walks three miles to get to another field. And when she arrives there, I don't know how fast she walks, but an hour or two later-ish, Probably because I I don't think she's like running or anything. She's you know doing an ant ramble. Uh, she's walking. So anyway, an hour or two after the Bennetts eat breakfast, the Bingleys are just now eating breakfast, which is a class thing. Like the wealthier people eat breakfast later in the day. Um, just the whole, all their meals get like pushed back because they have dinner later. They stay up later at night, then they get up later in the morning and have a later breakfast. It's a whole thing. Um, but it shows your high class to live that way versus poor people. I mean, part of it is that you have the money to pay for the candles to be up late at night and whatnot and not be in the dark versus like the very poor people who don't have candles and are basically living, um, you know, up with dawn, down, up and down with the sun in a much more significant way. But in any case. I think that is a something, again, that we can go right through as modern reader and not pay attention to. But it's something that actually means something. It shows that the Bingley's are keeping more like town hours, even though they're in the country. Um, So that would they would consider themselves like higher class, more elite by keeping those sorts of hours versus the Bennett's who keep more country hours. Um, And so that's one thing to learn out about this. The other thing that they, that we're showing here is that she walked three miles in such dirty weather and by herself. Um, I think again, ladylike behavior, the exertion of a three mile walk. I don't know if that's something of the time period that ladies wouldn't be wanting to do of the, like the distance, the dirtiness for sure, especially with their clothing being, they were so into these white dresses and you know, It was much harder to wash clothes and things than now, so that's a piece of it. Um, So the dirtiness and such, but I think that is actually would come through. Like people would think it was weird if you showed up all dirty and stuff to their home, to visit them. But I think the big thing is and by herself. So you'll see this I think throughout many Austen novels and other novels of the time, but good. Well-bred ladies are not really supposed to go anywhere by themselves. Um, Propriety says you're supposed to always have a companion. You're not supposed to be alone when you're out and about. And that's supposed to be sort of for propriety meaning like, and also protection's sake, kind of. Like, you don't want there to be any implication that you could be out, like, meeting somebody. You never want to be alone with a man that you might meet out, you know, when you're out walking in the countryside or whatever. I don't think it's as big of a deal like when Lizzie's here in the country as it would be like if she was out walking by herself in London. I think that would be much more scandalous. But even in the country, I think it is not not particularly well accepted for a, a well-bred young lady to be out wandering the countryside by herself. And that would be, again, for the implication that she could do something untoward during that time or something bad could happen to her during that time. So... In any case, she's convinced that they held her in contempt, but she was received politely by them and their brother's manner. Had something better than politeness. There was good humor and kindness. Mr. Darcy said very little and Mr. Hurst nothing. So here we get something from the narrator about Mr. Darcy. It says Mr. Darcy was divided between admiration of the brilliancy which exercise had given her to her complexion and doubt as to the occasions justifying her coming so far alone. So again, he is focused really on that alone piece, not the dirty piece. The way so you see that difference there between Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley are focused on the um, the exertion and the dirtiness as well as alone. But alone was the third. It was exertion and dirtiness that they were surprised about. Versus Mr. Darcy, his only thing is the alone part. And then Mr. Hurst was only thinking of his breakfast, so he didn't think about it one way or the other. Um. But I think it's interesting that we do see that difference there between what the Bingley sisters think and what Mr. Darcy thinks about the situation. Where Mr. Darcy is concerned about the propriety of it. But it's the Bingley sisters who are really worried more about that. Like, but you walked so far and it was so dirty. So it just, it just shows a difference in their character, in my opinion. In their personalities and their character. But when we see their different reactions to that. So I think it's worth pointing that out. And then Mr. Hurst has no personality because he's just thinking about food (laughs) um in any case then she talks about her sister which she doesn't get a very good answer for she's still ill so she goes up to see her Um, and jane is super excited to see her and we get this like we get the evidence that you know jane is just completely selfless and really wanted lizzie to come again i think we see something about the family dynamic that she doesn't mention anything about wanting her mother to come When Jane is sick, she wants Lizzie. She doesn't want her mom or her dad. Um, And I think that that is telling about, again, the parenting style that is going on in the Bennett household. Um, So Jane is very selfless and, you know, didn't want to give alarm or inconvenience. And that's the only reason she didn't ask for Lizzie to come. But she's very excited for her to be there. Um, And Miss Bingley left them so that she went back to breakfast. And now she's there. Elizabeth's alone. With um, Jane for a while, after breakfast is over, the, ben- the Bingley sisters come back up. And Elizabeth actually seems to like them a little bit because she show- they show how so much solicitude for Jane. The apothecary came, gave them some ideas, they followed the advice because she's feverish and not feeling well. And um, Elizabeth stayed in the room... And with Jane and so did the Bingley sisters, although it's pointed out that they had, in fact, nothing else to do um, because the gentlemen were out throughout the day. They went hunting or something, probably. So I think it's int- it's funny to me that um, the narrator points this out. So basically saying that Elizabeth is there staying with Jane all day because, of course, she would. But um, the Bingley, the Bennett yeah, the Bingley. I keep messing up Bingley and Bennett. Ah, too many beanies. But the Bingley sisters are only there because they had nothing to do elsewhere. (laughs) So it's very clear they're not there because they just love Jane and Elizabeth. They're there because they got nothing else, nothing better to do. And then later in the day, when the clock struck three, Elizabeth felt that she had to go. Um, And Miss Bingley offers to let her take the carriage, which she very easily decides is allowing herself to accept. Because it's probably been a very long day to have to then do another three mile walk home in the mud so that makes sense and then Jane is so upset about the idea of Elizabeth leaving that Miss Bingley was obliged to convert the offer of the chaise into an invitation to remain at Netherfield for the present, which Elizabeth accepts a servant is sent to Longbourn to acquaint the family of her stay and bring back a supply of clothes and that's the end of chapter 7 so now we are at the section where Jane and Elizabeth are staying at Netherfield for a while um, which I think will be very interesting. I do really enjoy the um, the conversations and stuff that's coming up between uh, Elizabeth and Darcy are really entertaining. The stuff we see about Caroline also super entertaining. So I, I really do enjoy the next couple chapters. I think they'll be a good time. It doesn't actually seem like all that much happens in Chapter 7, but apparently I had a lot to say. But most of it was about like little things. So hopefully it wasn't too boring to listen to my ramblings about all of the stuff that happened to this chapter. Um, But we get, I think, a lot more character development out of a lot of this than actual like story progression, because really the story progression is that Jane goes to Netherfield, gets sick, has to stay, Elizabeth comes, and now they're both staying at Netherfield. That's the chapter. That's That's the story development. What we really get more of is the character development, the conversations that the characters have that show what they're thinking and what they're feeling and stuff like that. Well, as well as some of that stuff about the money at the beginning, which I also think is very interesting and something to keep in mind. In any case, that is chapter seven. We'll be back next time with chapter eight for all the good times that Elizabeth has staying at Netherfield. See you then.